We're back. Bet you all missed creepy Paul's voice there on our intros. So welcome back to the Castle View, or welcome to the Castle View. If you're a first-time listener, I am Callum, and joined on this episode, as always, by my very ugly co-hosts. We've got Andrew. Andrew, how's it going? Very ugly, Lily. <laughs> Nothing know. new there. That's okay then. Indeed. That's yeah. all good. Just the usual. Eye. Face for the radio. It's all good. But I know you like to see it in the show. Exactly. If anyone gets that lyrical le- reference, good. Appreciate then you. Hit us up on social media, Twitter at the Castle View or just Castle View. I have no idea. Um, at Castle View, I think it's at Castle View. Yeah, it's, it's been so, so long. <laughs> <laughs> and then Facebook.com forward slash Castle View, the Castle View. Summon. We should have really checked that before we'll we came on. We'll check these before we we'll do the We'll check it on, but you know, this is probably the earliest plug of socials ever. We actually haven't even said hello to our third member. Paul, how's it going? I'm not sure I want to get in on this chat. <laughs> this has been a stumbling start, guys. Goodness me. It's been a while. There's definitely some WD-40 required. This is what, take three, take four? <laughs> Uh, we'll get there. Oh, we'll it's get at there. the Castle View. There is a the in there. there, is the there. <laughs> For <laughs> Twitter or fa- Facebook? Well, they're right. both the same. It's the, the Castle View. It's because it's not just a Castle View. It is the Castle View. The one and only Castle View. The only view of a castle that you should care about. Exactly. Because a view from a castle or a view of a castle? Of a castle. Only from the top of the street. Cool. <laughs> I wasn't meaning like the street name, but like I was meaning, are we in a ca- are we in our castle? Are we looking at a castle? Well, see, I always took it as that we all think far too highly of our opinions, so it's like we're sitting in our ivory tower, yeah. looking down on the masses. We, we are the kings <laughs> of our castles. Our word is gospel. <laughs> well, I certainly think so. <laughs> likewise, likewise. I, I don't think either of your two words are gospel, but mine is. <laughs> let's not fight <laughs> why it makes it more juicy we usually agree about everything else so <laughs> yeah. let's have a fierce debate about this topic guys oh i agree yes i agree wholeheartedly with you Callum. yes what about you andrew <laughs> oh, yes. i agree as well <laughs> excellent gentlemen let's all clean our monocles <laughs> Spinning. So, so lads what are we agreeing about in this episode <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we agreed on what we could agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what we couldn't agree on. A song to sing us in. And no. we know the listeners love a sing song. I know. So we just like clipped a few bits. Have we had that feedback from them that they love the sing songs? Well, none of us have, none of them have told them that they don't like it. And so ah. therefore. I actually think somebody abs- did kind of say that they didn't really know what we were doing with the singing. But. <laughs> But, as I mentioned earlier, our view trumps everybody's, and it's our podcast. <laughs> so we'll do as we please. Always. So what are we fiercely agreeing on today then, guys? Well, I think we thought that, you know, given that we've all had the joyous lockdown and everything like that, and still ongoing, that let's not talk about COVID. And then we realised, oh, we're a current affairs podcast. How can we not? Especially in this week of all weeks, 
the roadmaps were all coming out? They were, but before we jump into chatting about the roadmaps, how have you found the lockdown? This one has been rough. I've been totally fine with it. I'm more with you, Callum, that this has been the roughest of the phases of restrictions that we've had so far for me. I always said in the summer that because of the glorious sunshine that we had during that very first lockdown, not the summer, the sort of spring of 2020, that the glorious weather we had made the whole thing more enjoyable or manageable because people almost felt like they were on holiday. There was a lot of people furloughed, things like that. People, I think, still thought like, oh, well, it'll be a few months. We'll all lock down and that'll be it. We'll all kind of move on with our life. Yeah, sitting in your garden, still in the Sunning good weather. Uh, yeah, cold beer in hand, barbecue on, all that. You know, you thought... Taps off. <laughs> I did that once, the neighbours complained, so... <laughs> yeah, and that was all manageable. And I think maybe kind of been proven right because the wet and miserable weather has been ever-present during this lockdown, except from snow. And you don't overly want to go for a walk in the pouring rain and look out at the grey sky. And it's probably there's still some guy walking about in shorts and t-shirt because it's Scotland. Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> no, strictly March through October. <laughs> Seasonal attire, you know. I think a lot of the things that meant I didn't mind this one as much won't apply to you guys. To be quite honest. There's things like I've got my home office set up where I didn't in the first lockdown. I don't have kids at home, so, you know, there's no hassle when I'm working from home. Um, Also, I kind of thought, even come like late November, right, we're going to have Christmas and then they're going to slap us into lockdown. This is when we still thought it was going to be five days and whatever. So I think since the start, like end of November, I've been mentally preparing for, right, this is just going to happen. And it'll be like Feb, March by the time we get out. And, but I think a lot of that just maybe doesn't quite apply as much for you guys. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I I was similar. I thought that I mean I kind of saw that up until the end of March we were probably going to be in some form of much stricter lockdown. And I'll be honest, even though I say it's rough, I've still don't seem to have felt the effects of it compared to what a lot of people out there seem to have. But it, it's certainly been my rough is more. In comparison to the first lockdown we had, this is a lot more difficult. Um, the the weather certainly doesn't help, but there's even things like see when you go to Tesco or you know wherever you shop, other shops are available. And we're not you, the BBC. You, yeah. If we want to back and, Tesco, we can. And you don't have we to don't queue know. for miles on the in the car park, and you don't have to wait for one-way systems and wait as you're being counted in and counted out, like. That was a pain in the arse. That I actually had really to do that the other. Week. I had to do that the other weekend. Now that was probably Where? because I went at Tesco. Oh. Um, I think that was probably because it was there like midday-ish on a Saturday, so it was like the busiest time. And I don't think it was. I think it was more that they were just wanting to s- spread people out at the start of the shop rather than anything else. And I mean, it wasn't at the other end of the car park like it was. Yeah. I mean, it was like twenty people or something, but they were stopping you sort of. They were just trying to break it up, I think, so everyone wasn't clustered yeah. together. I guess the, the other thing that I've benefited from compared to the first lockdown is because I live on my own. In the first lockdown, they still didn't have the bubble system in place. So it was like you can leave your home to exercise for an hour a day or whatever, and then I'd just go to Tesco and just be queues. But like I would see nobody for weeks on end. 
Whereas this time it's like, yeah, you can meet up for anybody you like for exercise, one-on-one. So, like, I can go for walk the dogs with my brother, I can go see my gran or my mum or whatever, you know, and have a walk or whatever. So you get a bit more variety. So I think that's just made it a bit easier for me, to be honest. But, again, it's very specific circumstances. I total, The consensus that I'm hearing from people is that this has been rough. Folk have been finding this, like, the worst of the three lockdowns, for sure. Yep, I that that's where that's how I feel about it. Um there is certainly an element of lockdown fatigue, just fed up with it. Um oh, yeah. homeschooling while trying to work. Um, although with how I've got things arranged at home, it means that I only have to do it two days a fortnight when they've both been off. Um, which has been okay. Uh but those days are torture when you're trying to get on with work and the kids are running around in the background and you're trying to get them to sit down and do their work. Has the homeschooling been easier for you, Pear, this time around because schools are better prepared for it? Or yeah, not? definitely. Hmm. Uh, well, okay. Um, schools are definitely better prepared. The work is, or, or the school that my kids are at are better prepared. Um, and the work seems more organised. The kids are less accepting of it though yeah um they're just which, tiring of the whole thing yeah exactly mm. it was a novelty the first time we did yeah it. whereas so the way that my kids school have done it and i think it's the way that it's been done across our local authority is that they have they get given a load of stuff for the day and they also get told right these are your core tasks these are the ones we expect you to do the other stuff's optional and just getting the kids to do the core tasks at times can be enough of a struggle that you're that when the optional stuff is there you just i'm not having that fight with them mm. i don't want to have that fight with them because it makes us all miserable yeah so, yeah, yeah that's very why? much our, our approach has been the core stuff get it done get their numeracy and literacy done and that's like you know it keeps them going keeps them progressing on those sort of core fundamental skills of education but the rest of it, it, it's not realistic, the rest of the stuff, for people who are also trying to work it from home to do most of these things. You know, yeah. like I, I, my kids have had, you know, they are almost more the sort of crafty, sort of hands-on type activities that, in a sense, they probably might prefer it. And I think if it wasn't under these circumstances, they'd be more than happy to do it. But to them, it's just an extension of homeschooling. And, you know, I think if people aren't working whether they're furloughed or they just don't work, it might be more straightforward for them. But it's if you're trying to juggle the two, you're kind of trying to get the thing over and done with as quickly as possible. And as far as it's certainly in our household, it's been a bit like, oh, there you go, you're done. Right, cool. There's your Xbox controller. Um, yeah, I need do to you want. Just you know, let me know when you need some when you need fed and watered. Pretty much, it's kind of like, and that's just the balance that I'm sure people up and down the country are still trying to juggle with because i'm fortunate my kids are now back in the school um but not everybody's as fortunate as that andrew you included so. well, i'm half and half one's back one's not uh, so yeah and schools is probably an appropriate point to transition then into I th- somebody in work was saying to me today th- there is a tunnel now and there is a light at the end of it but we still don't know for certain just how long the tunnel is but we we have a better idea now. But schools are first up. 
Yeah, I mean, I think schools, to be fair, were always going to be first. That that was always kind of going to be the case. Um, Do you think it's right that they were first up? Absolutely. I mean, I think kids... I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago, and they reckon that children who are going through the education system now, that this will cost them about 40 grand across their life in lost earnings, because they basically just reckon that their education will be impacted. And there's been some study done. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember which think tank it was that did it. I want to come to that, because that sounds like bullshit to me. But before we do, the fact that you asked, was it right that schools came back, Andrew, makes me think that you might have an alternative view. No, I don't. No, you do. (laughs) Oh, right, okay. No, I was was more thinking, so Calum and I are both coming from the perspective of uh, parents of kids that are at school age, Mm. um, I suspect that that influences where you sit in terms of your opinion. If anyone was going to have a contrary viewpoint, I thought it would be yourself, Paul. Oh yeah, I want restaurants and I want squash back, but that's a totally selfish point of view. So no, totally it should be schools. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I suppose, well, you you had brought up to us about another point, you know, I think think across the board people are pretty accepting of schools being number one priority obviously some industries haven't closed anyway you know like key yep. fundamental um industries haven't stopped so there might there might have been more debate if gp surgeries were shut and things like that like mm. because of this but they're not so i suppose education is one of the sort of fundamental industries as it were that really stopped so i suppose it makes sense for it to be the first back of yeah. those that stop. And I, I think for a load of people who are working from homes, mental health, having the headspace away from the kids, which I know that that could sound really callous or whatever, but I'm sure folk get it. Yeah, like It's a tremendous drain to have to do that at all the homeschooling as well as your own job. I think just having that clear headspace and division of time is bound to help with just how you're handling lockdown. Oh, I noticed that on Monday. I didn't actually think my kids had been... And they weren't that bad. Like, they were just kids. But it was it was like, oh, this is what quiet sounds like to actually sit down at the computer and get on with your work. It was like, it was bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I had said that sounds like bullshit to me about the yeah. 40 grand. Or I don't actually care what the figure is that they've come up with. So... If the entire school-age population have all had a year out of school, surely that's like a 12 to 15 year age group who are all getting hit. And that's an entire working generation. I can't see how that entire generation are all going to lose out in wages because somebody has to progress up into middle management and upper management and take over companies and you know the the entire economy won't just suddenly say right everybody who graduated university in 2021 has no prospects because they lost out on you know 15 months of education and we're going to wait until 2035 before the first clean batch comes through it won't happen what happens though is it it's that people have missed out on their parts of their education and so therefore it takes them just a little longer to develop when they do get into the workplace. But I so think because, it's... A... <sighs> but, and then 40 grand, it's not that they're just missing out 
on a 40 grand chunk somewhere. It's because that promotion, when they go from 20 grand to 25 grand, is delayed by a year. But and is so it, therefore, though? you're. Well, I think. Yeah, it probably is. Kids, I mean, I would, I, I do agree somewhat so with your point a, a little bit about the entirety of. And I, I'll be honest, I read the article about it, and okay, it obviously went into sort of the overview of it, but I didn't read into, you know, I didn't go away and then read the full study or anything. So I'll not try yeah. and slag off it too much because I haven't read it myself. I'm seeing how a journalist has reported on it. Mm. But I mean, at a younger age, there's very much the lack of social interaction with other children will massively have hampered the development of primary age kids. And secondary age kids, I think, have been probably... They're, they're probably at an age where socially it's not been quite as bad because most kids of secondary age now are quite reliant on technology to keep in touch anyway. So it's probably lessened the effect for them. However, academically, I can see that they have probably been more hit, whereas I don't... I think primary is more social, whereas secondary is probably far more academic. So but as Andrew says, it's not one big chunk. It's the cumulative. Yeah, yeah. and but it might be they don't get into as good a uni course because their academics have been hit, so their grades aren't as good and things like that. But So there's somewhere between half a million to a million five-year-olds in the UK and half a million to a million six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and on and on and on. And when you're competing to get into uni, you are competing against everybody else who's your age and everybody has been equally disadvantaged. And then when you enter the workplace, you're, you you are well, competing against that same peer group who have all been equally disadvantaged. It doesn't make sense. I, I actually think you're also missing out a fundamental part of that argument is the number of people who will be retraining over the next however many years. They're not just competing against their peer group. They, there are people who they perhaps, without the pandemic, wouldn't have been competing against, who they now will compete against. So people who are, are already in the workplace, having already gone through education, and were perhaps not of as high a calibre as some of the people who would have come up through the education system, but now because the people in the education system have been disadvantaged, those people in the workplace are competing against. Right, okay, I can buy that for maybe the top two or three years of kids, but not everybody who is in the school system. I'd be surprised if the study said that it was 40 grand for absolutely everyone. I would suspect that the top end of secondary aged children would be disproportionately affected, particularly when it comes to... You're now going to have kids leaving school who haven't sat an exam, with two years of exams having been cancelled. Now, how does that set you up for university? You're now going to have kids who are going to university with no experience of having sat exams, doing it for the first time in a further education setting, and some of them just won't cope with that. So you've then got a situation where you've got a load of kids not doing as well at university as they otherwise would have done, which means when they come out of university, they're not going to come out of it with as good a degree as they would have otherwise. And so, therefore, they're not going to get quite as good a job. Are the degree the systems not the exact same as... No, they are hard and fast. They're banded by percentage. There are the only ones that are... that are. Di- I know medicine tends to be one that's more is a bit different. It tends to be they look at the... Ov- there's still like a... 
like in medicine, you've got to usually achieve about 70% to be deemed to be a pass. Right. But they look at, there is, you're more marked in, like on the spec, you know, more of a spectrum type basis. Whereas most other degree courses, it's like an A is 70%. And, yeah, and the that is you the cutoff like, yeah. for, I, there are probably other degrees out there aside from medicine who do it, but my understanding is the vast majority of degrees out there is far more a sort of rigid structure of getting okay. that. That's certainly so, been my experience of further education is any courses that I've done and not completed um, have been on a strict percentage. An, yeah, an absolute strict percentage. Okay, then. I know that we were kind of debating this without the exact facts of the article that you'd said, but if the article were saying it's Every school-age kid, I call bullshit. If it is a subset, then yeah, okay, I can buy it. And even within that, I can also buy that there are subsets within subsets in that, you know, kids who are from more disadvantaged backgrounds anyway, uh, you know, whose parents maybe are essential workers who are working in supermarkets and things like that and aren't there to make sure that the kids are actually doing the classwork that they've been set, all of that kind of stuff, I can see how they would be disadvantaged more than somebody who does have their parents on hand to help them and even just to chase them up that they've been doing their schoolwork, I can buy all of that. So I've just had a quick glance at the article again, just to sort of so it is saying on average it's forty grand is what they calculated the, um, in the Institute of Financial Studies, uh, Fiscal Studies, sorry, that have done it. So they reckon that there's one point five billion investment needed in catch up. I mean, the staggering fact actually that across it's, all kids, across all kids in the UK, bullshit, so what bullshit, is that on average the average child in the UK has lost five percent of their school. Yeah, Five. but I I reckon a five year old will catch that up because they've only, they've only been disadvantaged relative to other five year olds, and they've got another ten years to go before they start setting exams. They'll catch it up. Yeah, the it's earlier, not all relative though. Well, the earlier that it's been, the earlier that they are through the process, definitely the the less to be affected. Yeah, I mean you've got longer to rectify it as well. Like yeah. whereas yeah, I mean you will need. There was something announced today for England that something like seven hundred million has been pledged to secondary schools. Um, there's talk of down in England that there'll be basically like summer school. Yeah, will be going on because obviously they need to be caught up far more quickly. But there will still be problems for primary age kids. There will be a if you're a like a primary one child, like and you've barely been in school and you were scared transitioning from nursery to primary one, I mean, they've basically gone back to that stage because they've just sat at home for ages and they'll probably have all the anxiety and apprehension and they need caught up. And then bear in mind that they've now got, what, three and a bit, three, four months of school left? So that teacher that they would usually build trust with across in a whole academic year they now only have three or four months to rebuild that trust, yeah. of which they then take, they've then got a month and a half off, and then it's a new teacher. I mean, I suppose this may be something the government might look at whether actually there's any advantage to like continuity of teachers for lower ages and things like that. But I'm I'm also going to make a sweeping generalization here, but 
the economy as a whole is becoming more and more digitized and if you are not computer literate then there is no place for you in the economy the the way the economy is moving more generally and so i think that just being younger generally will be an advantage over your education in that you will just be more computer literate because you've been raised with whatever the current tech is i mean i'm sure you'll testify to this andrew but we see this all the time in our workplace where people who have not used computers their entire life just don't understand tech and it and the capabilities of like automation and that as well as younger people who are coming into the workforce yeah absolutely i I think we kind of got a little bit sidetracked from our original Topic conversation, but we kind of said that that may well happen. Could ramble all so over the place. we could ramble all over the place, but I think there was probably a sort of juicy enough debate, or hopefully debate, because I don't think we're all going to agree on this. Going back to the whole roadmap out of the lockdown, mm. I suppose. Um, so we've got whose roadmap? Well, we've got a few roadmaps, I suppose, that, and this has been one of the consistent problems throughout the whole pandemic is there are. Each nation has taken it differently, and because the media are reporting on them all, people start to get confused about who is doing what and what's happening where. And there's assumptions that because one nation's doing it that way, that all the nations are doing it that way, that kind of thing. So it's a bit confusing. Um, so I suppose we we first was Boris the first one to come Boris out. Boris was the first one. Yeah. So loves uh, a headline, does Mr. Johnson? Oh, whoa. Is Can't the Im- see his headline. It's hey. too much hair. Is the implication there that Sturgeon doesn't? Or is it just that Boris loves a headline? No, it's just that Boris loves a headline. Right, they all okay. love a headline. Fair they do all but love I a headline. I think Boris loves a headline more than most. Oof. I think all politicians love headlines. I think, yeah. Um, right, so I think we've had all of... I think even Northern Ireland have come out. So uh, I think uh, Northern Ireland are tomorrow. Are they tomorrow? Okay. Um, so As we speak now. So I'm pretty sure that we've had England take the date, or, well, they have come out and they have long-term, right to the end of the road, spelled out what it's going to look like, roughly the dates of what it will be, um, and they've given people a sort of clear picture of it. We've had Wales, who look like they're doing what Wales do pretty well, and have gone, aye, in about three weeks' time, aye, we can all just get back on with it, so that's great. And then, I haven't actually seen the Welsh one, I, so. I, I, well, the brief bit I saw it, I thought, oh my god, you just cannot learn. I mean, Drakeford is an absolute clown. But, um, so, yeah, they'll probably go back into lockdown because everyone will start spreading <laughs> it around again and then they'll wonder why. Um, and then Scotland have given a roadmap that was talked up that it was all going to be data-driven, but really it's still dates. It is still it, That we've got. Dates. It's just not... We've got. It's not as explicit as the English lockdown, the English roadmap. No, I mean, if this was like the A route planner, we've got up until the first turnoff, or maybe the first three turnoffs, and then we're not really sure where we're going from there. So I suppose we kind of got contrasting mm-hmm. styles in that yeah. way. Um, Before we even get into which approach is best. Are we all sick of the fact that there's just differing approaches all the time? I I, I personally am. I, I think that to have... An, I get that there's three governments, because 
Northern Ireland being different, that's like, fine. I understand that. They are, you know, they're on a different island yeah. to the rest yeah. of us. That makes more sense for them to perhaps do things a bit differently. However, given that we all, we're all on one island and the amount of trade and just general movement that goes on between the three nations on Great Britain itself, a, a, a consensus approach was, uh, to me was a far better option from the start. Yeah, to, to me, I don't care whether you think the English strategy has been better than Scottish, Scottish better than English, or, or whatever. I think having any differing strategy is positively counterproductive in that you you just, well, especially for us in Scotland, in that the messages are so mixed and people don't really understand what's going on that they just make up their own rules. And it is, you would get far better overall compliance to whatever the rules are by having one message. And therefore, it is better to just have one message, even if it's not quite as strong as you would have wanted. So, do you think then, pardon me, um, do you think then that on that basis you should have just a single national yes. movement? Or do you think that the tiered approach, breaking it down well, into smaller areas, is more correct going forward? Yeah, I'd get rid of Holyrood if that's what you're asking. Yeah, that's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's single national. Even when the tier system was in, the whole moving between... Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3. I understand that they didn't want to lock down parts of the economy that didn't need to be locked down. But I think we saw that people flouted the regulations more because they were so unclear about what regulations were in place, where and from when. Yeah, I I think so. I I was one that initially, when all these sort of tiers came in, or actually when I think Scotland were taking a more national approach, and I was like, well, hang on a minute. Like, we're basically still locked down because of Glasgow and Edinburgh. And it's like, well, how's that fair? Like, there's barely anything kicking about here. And just because the big cities have got it, we're having to stay under lockdown because the national rate is therefore still above one. When in reality, the regional rates in a lot of places were well below. But it is far too confusing. And it's just, it's just open to abuse. And I think some will win, some will some will lose, and you kind of, in these situations, have to play the worst case. So some of on a single blues. Exactly. <laughs> Don't forget the lyric over there. <laughs> but, um, um, so yeah, so I think a national approach is probably the better one. What about you, Andrew? I would prefer the geographically tiered approach, I have to say. As granular as we've done it? Um, so we've done it on a local authority area. No, I don't think as granular as that, I have to say. Because... Well, we kind of stepped out of doing it on a local authority. Yeah, I know, I know. It's more... Uh, but right, okay, how we've done board. it up to now is too granular. Um, I don't know where... I'm not quite sure where the right answer lies in yeah. terms of... I think nationally is too broad. I think local authority area is too granular. It's somewhere in the middle. Is it on health board? I'm not quite sure. I mean, the thing is, is uh, there's a pretty big tie-in between 
we'll call authority and health board. It, it, there's not. There is. It just it tends to yeah. be health boards tend to take in two or three local authority areas. Yeah, I I think the biggest one of the biggest problems that we have, and this isn't a Scottish problem. This is a, a probably to be honest a problem in the Western world. Full stop. Is you look at China now? Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't back the stats out of China around this at all. But you know they were sort of seem to be able to contain it to Wuhan and the Hebei province or Hubei. Um, but I mean, they did they bollocks? Well, no, but <laughs> but that's what they claim, and the reason that the claim to that was almost seemed somewhat sensible is that they almost enforced like martial law. And yeah. they will just set up roadblocks and things like that and just be like, you're not coming in. And the problem I have with these sort of regional restrictions is unless we are prepared to actually police that, and now the police aren't going to be able to do it because there's not enough manpower, but unless we're prepared to like roll the army out, and now you might not be able to block off every possible access route, but unless you put up like blocks across the motorway and stuff, and it's like, right, okay, you're a lorry, you're transporting stuff. Right, family there and the people carrier, wh- where are you going? Like, unless you're prepared to do that, I don't see how regional approaches work. Because all that happens is people just go, well, I can just leave anyway, and nobody is stopping me. Yeah. And in China, you were able to do that because they are such an authoritarian country anyway that people are kind of accepting of when they slap these kind of rules in yeah people place. actually don't break them just as habit whereas we're in the west we're far more in, in the, the habit of just going well how do we get around these oh let's just ignore them and you oh, know there's a law where's the loophole ah, yeah exactly because that's you know because we are a more enlightened society and all that that's what how we approach life but it, it doesn't work if we've got to stop the spread if the rule is you have to stay home well if everyone has to stay home as far as you spot somebody going around, going, all right. Whereas if somebody manages to get into a region that they're allowed to move about in, how, how is anybody yeah. meant to spot that? And, and the two it? Western nations that people have been pointing to as, oh, fantastic examples, New Zealand and Australia, are not comparable. No. Not New Zealand all. is in the middle of nowhere with only Australia close by. And Australia, is their population is so spread out that they can lock down an area and the area's enormous whereas we lock it down at county level and you've got people who need to cross county lines all the time every single day to go to their work and whatever so and even hospital board area lines yeah you know yeah if you you take you know Perth has been in the Tay side but there'll be plenty of people who work in the Fourth Valley um area or even the Glasgow and Edinburgh areas yeah. Or, yeah. or Lothian or whatever and yeah, we're too close together. We can't do that. And yeah, I think I would more just be let, and it simplifies it. It's just like, even if we're going to have the three nations is different. If it's this is what Scotland's doing, just let Scotland do it. And then we all know what we're, or a better chance of knowing what we're doing. Okay. I just think that geographically, how Scotland is, when you've got pretty large part of the country that is sparsely populated Mm. you have the central belt so say from glasgow running across the central belt and then up perth dundee aberdeen that's where the vast majority of your population is i could almost see a logic in just grouping that as one 
splitting the country into three. So you have your central belt and Perth, Dundee, Aberdeen as one group. Then you have basically Highland and then Borders, Borders and yeah. and Galloway down the bottom. So you basically mean how they tiered it all anyway, but rather than saying individual. Because that, well, largely yeah, speaking, that's how much. the tiering worked anyway. Yeah. It was, I suppose the argument was the true central belt was a bit more strict than the rest of us. Yeah, so you could, you would maybe have, yeah, the central belt and then north of the fourth. Yeah, Perth, Dundee and Aberdeen and Highlands. Or, so, know, if it was, if it was cricket, it would be the Caledonian, on rugby, it would be like the Caledonian region. Like, yeah. Yeah. Central Caledonian and Borders would be your three or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, the Highlands and Islands are were separated, but um, well, but there's a there's yeah. a more legitimate argument. Oh no, even I, then I, for I, the the, I, the islands to be separated. I understand that argument. I suppose one of my my big things is, I think we're coming to the end of the road, and I think we actually just want to make sure we get to the end of the road now. And you know, I'm somebody that's a bit been frustrated by the whole process for lockdown, but. Making a sparsely populated, even Highland region, have to be a bit more strict than they really need to be. I mean, what is the... Take the Highlands, for example. One of their big problems is they're not allowed tourism. Well, them being level tier one and everybody else not being, well, what does it matter? Because who's coming to be the tourists? Yeah, but there is still a local economy there. Whether there's tourism or not, there is still a local economy that is being hampered by the restrictions that are in place, and opening up does ease that and will save people's jobs. I, I, I'm not sure how much economy... Yeah, I'm not is, saying as much. I know, I, know I, I get your point. You're, you're willfully destroying people's jobs when you don't have to. They've done that already. Well, I know they have. I'm not going to say they haven't done that. A lot, of the, bolted, a lot like... of the restrictions that we've lived under for the past year have been over the top for a lot of the time. Adolf has been quite firm, yep. Godwin's I... Law. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... But, so, I think we were... I, I suppose, ultimately, kind of what our original debate was going to be was not so much the sort of minutia detail of it. It was more is the sort of English approach of this is the full package. This is what you're dealing with. Is that better or is the sort of Scottish and possibly others because we don't obviously know what Northern Ireland and stuff are doing of well this is the first bit of it. Is that a better I think in terms of the fullness of the information I think the English approach is better. In terms of the attaching not before dates to it, um, as opposed to sort of putting aspirational dates which are quite cautious, I prefer the Scottish approach to it. Um, So I think there's a mix of both. But do you not think that, I mean, to me, the English dates seem quite cautious. I think they do, but I still think that uh, telling the country this is going to happen not before then still only sets you up for a potential fall. If they meet it, then brilliant. Great. But if they don't, then folk will be going, oh, look, there's Boris with yet another U-turn. I think they've set the dates so cautiously they're almost bound to succeed, to be honest. 
I that's that's kind of what I feel because I think you look at how there's sort of been this general acceptance of like a two week period can make a big difference in the yeah. whole like COVID thing. So if you're allowing like four weeks of change plus a week for the announcement, something if in five weeks the way that they're predicting it should all go, if it hasn't been able to sort of work. Something has gone seriously wrong. Yeah, and um, they, yeah, and they'll have been sowing the seeds for a good three weeks before you even get to that date. I, the big thing for me that was different was all the way through this. I've heard at different points Boris or d- different people in government kind of suggesting, "Oh, you know, long term we might have to live with this," or you know, "There's a light at the end of the tunnel," and, and being generally more upbeat about it than Chris Whitty and Patrick Falance have been, but this was the first time where both of them were just saying yeah it's kind of going to just be a seasonal respiratory virus and we're just gonna have to live with it and this is now the way out and i think when even those guys are their tune has changed so much i think even they're looking at this now thinking yeah the vaccine's doing as much as it can and if the vaccine isn't the way out there is no way out so we now just need to accept this is what it is yeah, I think that's it. I think the what this allows is for the most vulnerable people who this whole process has been to protect by these dates. Uh, sh- something has gone seriously wrong. Like one of the vaccine producing factories has blown up or something, so just can't provide us the vaccines for the critical people to not be vaccinated. And the problem comes is if at this point when all the vulnerable are already vaccinated, and we were told we're locking down to protect the vulnerable so that they don't die. Then, what is the point? Of, like, what is the point in the lockdown? Because they will have to change their tune on what the point in the whether you agree with lockdowns or not. That's still been their point about yeah, what they're yeah. doing. And yeah, I, I still think that it's better to know that by hopefully by June twenty first that life will kind of be back to normality or as near normality as we're going to get for a wee while. Because I, I don't know if it's yeah, absolute I, normality. Yeah, I agree on the laying out the full roadmap is the better approach rather than just laying out half of it. Um, but it's not the <laughs> it's not by June the 21st though, is it? It's June the 21st at the earliest. And that's the my kind of issue with it. I would rather they'd said it might be the middle of July, but we'll look to bring it forward. Because by the middle I of th- July, when, when we've got 95% of the... Well, in fact, middle of July is now the target for everyone to be vaccinated, isn't it? It or is. Or is it end of July? End of July. So middle of July, 95% of the adult population is going to have the first dose of the vaccine. At that point, we should have returned to normal. So if you're saying, oh, I'd rather they said middle of July, but we might bring it forward... If he had said middle of July, would you not just be saying, oh, middle of July, why did he yeah. not say middle of August? Oh, middle of, you know. Th- no, because I think with when you look compare it to the vaccine plan and the promises that they have made on delivering the vaccinations, middle of July is the sensible point. But the people left between the middle of June and the middle of July don't even need it. Yeah, I know, but why... I just don't agree with a not before approach. Well, the, one just of the say, just make that that day a month later. Be a bit cautious and over deliver. 
Boris Johnson loves to overpromise and underdeliver. Uh, it's I, I the do, wrong way to govern. I do get that, right? I do get that, but I think he's already taken an overly cautious approach yeah, with these I, dates. I agree with that. I, I, I think that somebody who really wanted, if you had, let's use the example of somebody who's been in power recently in the West, is Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump would have gone middle of April, life's back to normal. Like now, that's because he was a clown. But like, you could be more aggressive with this. I actually think part of the reason that it is when it is is because you still need to, even with the first dose, allow two to three weeks for the dose to yeah, you take do, effect. Yeah. So I would imagine that their thought there must be some point they hit at the end of May that they're like, once all those people are vaccinated. We can do. We can basically just open the doors again, but they need to allow that two to three weeks for those people's first dose to kick in. And I think that's. I yeah. mean, it's three weeks after. Yeah. The other thing, right, and this is not necessarily right, but I can understand it. Is I can understand the geopolitical reasons behind this. In that, Boris specifically mentioned Wembley, and he specifically mentioned the Euros in his address. And we know that there's been this whole debacle with the EU vaccine rollout. And we know that they're struggling to get take-up because the EU have rubbished the AstraZeneca vaccine so much. And they're in a bad, bad way at the moment. It would be tremendous for Boris to paint Brexit as being a huge part of the success of us rolling out the vaccine. He already has. And, yeah. Well, to and, be fair, yeah, it has been. Even as someone who was anti-Brexit, I can admit that the vaccine programme would not have been nearly as successful had we still been part of the European Union. Yeah, if only Keir Starmer could see that. Yeah. It's one thing, though, to say that, and it's another to have Europe fucking around in the middle of July with their own vaccine rollout, while Wembley's full to capacity with 100,000 fans on a global stage, and he's able to stand there proud as punch at the final of the Euros, saying, we're the first major world economy to completely eradicate this. Like, you know, th- there's there's something in Not that. Not completely is... eradicate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He probably, that, would, that, he probably yeah, would say that. He probably that. would say that, you're <laughs> right. So, but as I say, there, there, there's a geopolitical reason there why he would be like, yeah, I want to be standing on that stage. We have beat the Europeans at this because of Brexit. It's a, it's a great message for him to deliver. And so I get why he wants it by the end of June and not by the end of July. I also think that he wants to try and give people some hope for the summer holidays because well, obviously... We had Christmas as this big hope. We had Easter, and that's kind of been killed. And I still think that that is... I I think that if it was July, say it was the middle of July, I do think people in their head would be like, oh, that's awfully close to the summer holidays. Because bear in mind, down there, the summer holidays are the end of July. If it was the if it was the 21st of July, for our sake, that they made it, people would be like, mm, well, all it takes is one little hiccup and we're not getting our summer holiday. Now, a lot yeah, of people won't get their summer I, holiday I anyway. But the messaging... The messaging that he has gone with is it will be not before these dates. Whereas if it was the end of July and they said, look, if, if the metrics are all hit, and, and this is another point entirely, actually, of should it even be date-driven or should it be data-driven? Uh, I think it should be more data-driven than date-driven. But I'd argue, it, is it not... Da- it, it's. I think to have all these dates does not stop it being data-driven still. Well, it's going to be data-driven to an extent, but what metrics they are looking at should be made clear to the public so we can see how we are tracking. That I do get. 
I do think that all the way through all of his statement, he was really, really clear time and time again, as long as the data says this, as long as the data says that, you know, and he said yeah. it like dozens yeah. of times. But you're right. He didn't explicitly call out, this is what we want to see. Because I felt some of the criticism that was coming from up here north of the border, I was almost surprised at what Sturgeon's announcement was because there was a lot of criticism that appeared to be coming up here. Of it's not data-driven and things like that. And I almost half expected Sturgeon to come out and be like, when the R rating is a pro- is like 0.8, this will happen. When the R rating is 0.7, this will happen. And it's like, well, you've still just told people dates. You're not actually... Yeah. You- you're saying the data will affect your dates. Well, that's what England are doing as well. It's not yeah. actually any different. I, I also think, generally, Boris has read the mood of the nation better in terms of what we were saying earlier on. Yes, I, I've maybe not found this lockdown too bad. The public as a whole are sick of this and need a bit of hope, rightly yeah, or Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The Scottish statement was a lot more negative. I felt a lot more downbeat after the Scottish one than I did after the Westminster announcement the day before. I remember you made Absolutely. that day. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Andrew, you're always such a cheery soul normally as well. <laughs> I wouldn't take your face for a shite. <laughs> um, yeah, I forgot what point I was trying to make there. Just that the no one Scots are downbeat and Nicola Sturgeon's dreadful, I think, is where you were going with it. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Sounds right. Oh, well, no, seriously on this point, though, I know that the SNP have disenchanted you an awful lot lately and you Oh absolutely. I um I don't know where my vote goes when it comes to the Scottish elections in May. I don't know if it goes to anyone at all. Um I heard you're gonna rub your boss sack on the presiding officer. Straight on him. <laughs> well if it's a woman. Well I think it is a woman. Is it? I don't know. I don't discriminate. <laughs> what if they're non binary? <laughs> I don't discriminate. <laughs> <laughs> how how do you see um, these timelines playing out when it comes to the Scottish elections out of interest? And I mean, up, I had thought... When are the elections again? 5th of May. 5th of May. Was it the 5th? I thought it was yeah. the end of May. No, 5th of May. So okay. up, in, up until before these statements this week, I thought Nicola would do everything possible to keep us locked down longer and paint this whole picture of, oh, we're being ultra-cautious, look how evil the Tories are, because and blah, blah, blah. she's a fascist, and you think she'll try and control people. Yes. But I, also I just, I think that she would feel that that would play better politically for her, that she's the saver of lives, or Boris is the saver of the economy, you know, broadly speaking. I, but I'm actually not convinced anymore. I think if she wants to wait all the way till the end of May, keeping us really strictly locked down, and the Scots can see the English starting to get out and about and enjoy life more, I think she'll have an absolute, not a real riot, but a, a voting riot on her hands. I think another point as well on the way she's playing it ahead of the elections, which surprises me, is she obviously took a more cautious approach to, she sort of, you know, when this new variant was discovered, she took the approach of, right, it's not here yet, but we're going to lock down as firmly as everybody else before we get this new variant and before it really takes a grasp of the nation and our numbers manage to stay lower. Now, if I were her, if I was trying to do this roadmap, the data would suggest we could be more aggressive with it than other parts of the country because we've kind of managed it. We've got 
like the care homes have been better, you know, the vaccination numbers were better, faster and things like that in the care homes. And I'm actually surprised you didn't try and win a political score by going, well, look, because I kept us safe mm. from this new variant, we can get out of this faster than them because of what I mm. did. Whereas actually, almost what she's done is nullified what I think actually a lot of people were like, fair enough, get why you're doing that. And she's kind of nullifying that by not, because it's like, well, what benefit is it to us? Like, Or do you think the political play is that I'll come out with a cautious roadmap, which I'll, I say can be brought forward if the data allows, but knows the data will allow it to be brought forward and in practice actually ends up releasing restrictions quicker than England, just in time for an election in May. Perhaps. And then try yeah. to ride that bounce into an election. Maybe. And that would be a fair political game because, and to be fair to her, that's one thing she's pretty good at doing, so it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I, it would. It also wouldn't surprise me, though, if the data is looking that strong by that point, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Boris and the rest of the Tories weren't to bring their plan forward as well. Even though they've said, not before, I, I'm really not convinced that he means not before. If the data really is looking that strong by start of May, for example, is he really going to wait an extra six weeks? It's not I in mean, his character. Do you think they're likely to... Cause realistically throughout this second third wave whatever it is that we're in the english numbers have been falling about three weeks behind the scottish numbers so therefore it would be reasonable to expect that scotland if we are doing things separately and yeah yeah. we use the border um that scotland releases three weeks earlier than england at each turn i suppose our vaccinations aren't three weeks ahead is one of the critical no they're not they are. They sh- I know they're. I think they're still a little bit behind, but we are generally catching up. Yeah, but I. Th- I mean, I would imagine that the vaccines is the key part to this. Yeah, I- and I think that's the problem. And I suppose that is fair. Kind of. I know I said about well, if they are numbers, this, but vax. It's not just about the R number. It's also about vaccines. And unless, well, hospitalizations and deaths are your key metrics over cases. Yeah, yeah. The, ma- the majority of the drop that we've seen in recent weeks. I actually think it's just attributable to lockdown, to be honest, because it's been a slightly too soon for the vaccines to come in, and the lockdowns well, it, always it take... definitely a bit of both, because we have seen a more stark drop-off in hospital admissions in the over-80 age group, as we have in I do others. agree. Yeah, I do agree so with therefore that. therefore, the vaccines definitely are taking hold. Definitely agree with that. I just think that to pretend that this is all vaccines and it's not also the fact that we're locked lockdown is is false really um, yeah of course of course but the, the advantage to the vaccine is that it should allow us to not have to go back into it yeah uh, there might even be a slight advantage that the english have just in that they're further south which sounds stupid because it's only a few miles well, they but do like, say the weather the, the, we saw well, yeah, that last summer yeah it is seasonal um but it's probably counter, yeah. It's probably offset a bit by population density. Yeah, I'm sure. It's second, six and a half a dozen. But then I suppose Scotland also has an older population, yeah, which is difficult as well. So there are plenty of factors at play. Lots of factors at play. So I think we're all sort of saying we would rather up here have a longer roadmap. Is a kind of consensus. Yeah, I, would I think we would agree with that. prefer yep. to see it. Um, 
I suppose, actually, just another point on the length of it, to be fair to her, is that if there are elections in the 5th of May, there could be an argument to say, well, you can't make promises beyond that because you're not necessarily going to be the government. Um, to yeah, and is, is publishing a roadmap beyond that actually just campaigning? Well, yeah. So, uh, mm. you know, to sort of try and play devil's advocate and whatever. But, um, and yeah, I think none of us are massively sold that the Scottish one fills us with a lot of good feeling, but hopefully it might come forward, I think is kind of what... I, I expect it to come forward. Not just hopefully it'll come forward, I expect it to come forward. And if it doesn't, then I'll be really pissed off. I think <laughs> one of the big things, just to touch on another point about the long version of it, is that the one problem is that for business, obviously we're talking about reopening economies, we touched on that earlier on when we're talking about the restrictions, is that in England, businesses now at least have a sort of this should roughly be what we're looking at. Because the reality of it is, if it moves, it's likely to move like a week or two if something bad happens. Yeah, it, they it, can plan. Yeah, they can plan. There are so many businesses still in Scotland that have no idea. They're like, maybe at the end of April, who knows? And if they bring it forward now, these businesses are like, oh great, we now all of a sudden, the plans we were making for the end of April, we have to try and rush them forward two weeks. It's not as easy for businesses just to reopen like that. So that's another advantage to a longer-term strategy. But in terms of actually seeing a resurgence in the virus, is that maybe part of the plan? Like, if you bring it forward on fairly short notice, not everything can reopen at once because it's just not feasible. might be shit for business owners. But in terms of actually just everyone bouncing open, and then you're seeing a big uptake, uptick in infection rates and everything that comes with that. I mean, it would be. But then you could it, argue the is, stuff that does open gets crowded because there's less, like. Well, there is that. That's yeah. true. It's there's probably. T- I mean, it would be a really, sides. it would be a really shit justification for it, but I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I think if they're going to bring anything forward, what would more likely happen is we reach the kind of end of March, start of April dates and we would see that we're tracking well ahead of where we expect to be and at that point Boris would probably come out and say right, you know what, we're bringing the May date forward a week and the June date forward a week but we're still you know, it's going to be subject to guidance. I think you will see stages one and two in England not move. I think it's the latter stages. Three three and four yeah. yeah. Because I think the first stage they will always go right, we maybe shot ourselves in the foot previously let's just be cautious even if we could get out of this a week earlier because then when that data is coming in they can go right well things are looking a lot more positive than we thought so that five week gap is shrinking to four weeks between the two or whatever because we're actually further ahead of where we thought we were going to be by this point but so who's going abroad anyone not me not got anything planned yet maybe you don't do you don't do holidays. I've known you fairly well for four years now, and you have not done a holiday in that time. He you went, does you went, not. He you does went, not lie. Went to Bristol to record the Crystal Maze for a day. And that was it. Hey, <laughs> that was a day and a night. <laughs> you toss and turn. And I can't remember the rest of the lyrics. So I'm going to need to get better at dropping these lyric references in because it's always you, pair. Things can only get better. I knew he was going to go for a lyric reference right there. He just he's had that smug little look on his <laughs> face. 
But he's got one ready. Can we mute him? <laughs> can I, I can't from my um, setup, so we'll have to figure out a way. To Going do forward, it. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, we could actually just change the day we record. That's probably a good strategy. Probably, but yep. not tell Andrew. Yeah, I mean, he's got a one in six chance, knowing that we could change the date, but. Could be a bluff. You could just stick the same. I know. Okay. <laughs> or we could have variable dates. We roll a dice each week and oh, just okay. <laughs> yeah. Never on a Sunday. No, I'm too busy. Sleeping. <laughs> oh, that's the PG version. <laughs> anyway, um, I we think that's been quite a, a decent chat. It is. I mean, I, I jumped about. That. I jumped about. We don't have an outro song though planned. No, this was we don't. Absolutely shocking. So while you two think of an outro, I'm looking more at you, Callum, because Paul, as we discussed, doesn't do music. Um, uh, yeah, let's just remind people that um, if you have enjoyed the chat, if you haven't enjoyed the chat, if you've got an opinion you want to share with us, please do get in touch with us uh, on Twitter at the Castle View or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Castle View. Um, Please do, uh, yeah, get in touch, like, share, review, tell your friends, all that sort of stuff. So this means I've got to do the Facebook. You've got to do the Facebook, yes, because I am no longer on Facebook and it is majestic. That sounds like such a 60-year-old or something. I've got to do the Facebooks. The Facebook. <laughs> the Facebooks. The Facebooks. Yeah. yeah. The book of the face. The postiota. <laughs> <laughs> Quality. Debo I, making a, a comeback. I've drawn a blank on outros. I mean, we've already established that even if I picked it, I wouldn't know the tune anyway. So I'd like add, you know, I'd hold a note too long, and Andrew would go Simon Cowell on me and go irate about it. So, so cheerio, 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 cheerio. Cheerio! 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 Oh, shut up, Andrew. <laughs>